Hello, and welcome to episode 185 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Suspicious Mannequin Asserts Real Threats Suddenly. True. Yes, I thought you'd enjoy that one. Yes. Okay, uh, finish the intro. My name is Rediger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and Hi. your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, dash podcaster. Correct. <laughs> so now we have some news. Ooh. So in movie news, uh, Warner Brothers has announced that Aquaman 2 mm-hmm. will be hitting theaters on December 16th, 2022. That's awesome. Need more twos. <laughs> yeah. So James Wan is still unconfirmed as director, but they've hired someone to write the script and they've staked out a release date, so I imagine it's happening one way or the other. Yeah. That sounds one, very exciting. One way or the other? Hmm. I think so. I hope. Okay. <laughs> see what I did there? I, I do. I okay. see what you did there. Good And Good in one. TV news, Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for season three. Oh, awesome. Yes. So they are starting work on that now, and obviously we still have... Half of season two get to air. Yep. So it'll probably be, you know, a year or so. Probably uh, maybe like January 2020 or something mm-hmm. is when it'll start. But Or maybe at the very, very end of this year if they push it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we have that to look forward to also. I am excited. Woohoo! And that's all the news. Yay! So what was your comic of the week? Okay, this week I wanted to give an honorable mention to Silencer because um, they did what I was hoping that they would do, which is that Honor does not have... Uh, all of her memories wiped. She does remember who she is and what she's fighting for and um, what was taken from her from by Talia. But so far, nobody knows that. But my comic of the week this week has to be Sideways because it was an awesome, awesome issue. It wrapped everything up really nicely and it left things open for a hopeful reunion between his mom and uh, himself at some point in the future. But he's made peace with well, the end of everything, the wrap-up of everything, and is trying to live his life and uh, move forward, even as a hero, too. So, I mean, it was a really nice issue, and I really like that he caught the person who was responsible for his mother's death. And I'm a sucker for interdimensional uh, interdimensional mom gifts. So <laughs> so I really enjoyed the, the stuff that was between... Um, the cloaked figure, a.k.a. his mom, and the giant, I don't know, threatening, menacing robot person with the horns. It wasn't a robot. It was a Tempest Fugionaut. I Just see. Just this big, multiversal uh, cop, basically. It's not a robot. It's just this big... That's just you being specious. Just because Probably. someone is 15 stories tall, gold, and has massive horns mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're a robot. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look at Goldar. From Power Rangers. Right, but he was only that big when Rita Repulsa would make him grow really huge. That's true, yeah. That wasn't his natural state. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Plus he was just wearing gold armor. His actual, he was like, he had like this dark purple complexion, didn't he? Like this wolf face that was like yeah. really, really dark blue or purple. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so my comic of the week, I want to, want to give honorable mention to Detective Comics number 999, because I really thought it was a nice ending to this arc that... Pete Tomasi has been doing where someone has been attacking people that that um, mm-hmm. trained Bruce Wayne that were like part of his formative years. Um, and then we had, you know, look like Leslie Tompkins had died and Alfred had been shot and someone was attacking, you know, someone went after um, the original Mr. Miracle mm-hmm. and the guy, the sensei guy from Batman the Animated Series and a bunch of other people. And then Batman confronts who's responsible at the end of the last issue and it was like this little kid version of him in an oversized bat suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see in this issue that the whole thing was, I mean, I guess you could say it's a bit of a cop-out, like the whole, it was all a dream kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the idea that it was all like a VR simulation that he had put himself, that he puts himself through and ever, uh, with ever escalating complexity yeah, yeah. Um, every year on his birthday to just like, to just keep his, keep himself like laser focused and honed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and I, so, I mean, that I, I like, I, that was a, that was a fun twist. I mean, seeing him like sort of fight this kid version of himself and the whole discussion they had about, you know, three people died in crime alley that night, you know, mm-hmm. th- there's this grave here and it's represents, you know, all this, all this stuff. But then after he gets out of there, the, the conversation he had with Alfred and Damien, where he pulls up, he, he looks at, he has the back computer show him the faces Mm-hmm. Uh, of all the people that died in the past year. Mm-hmm. And there's, Alfred remarks, oh, you know, this, it's only half as many as the year before, so you're making a real difference. And he's like, I won't stop until the number is zero. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he ha- invites Leslie out to dinner because, you know, he now has got this memory in his head of watching her die basically in front of him. 
Um, I thought it was a really nice wrap up, and and I I agree. I, I like the the way that that Pete Tomasi really gets to the the heart of the the characters and their what makes them tick. Like he did it with he did it really well with him in in his Batman and Robin run between uh, Batman and Robin, and then he did a great job with Superman on the Rebirth run between uh, all the stuff in Hamilton County with Superman and Lois and John and. And he's he's doing a good job here too, and so I and he's continuing on after number one thousand. So he's got a he's got one of the many stories in number one thousand, and then he's continuing on. I think with a different art team, although I imagine the art teams are rotating because it's bi-weekly. So it was remarkable that Doug Monkey was able to do all six issues of this straight through, even though it was bi-weekly. I imagine he'd been working on it for a few months now, so he could sort of build up a buffer. But he's a pretty fast artist anyway. Um, so yeah, he's going to be continuing on after number one thousand. So. Exciting. More stories. That's awesome. That's exciting. And so, I uh, guess, yeah, so that was my honorable mention. Sorry, I went on for a while about that one. But my real <laughs> pick was um, Action Comics number 1008, um, which was, what I thought, I'm actually surprised it's not the not the one that you picked, too, because you remarked on it. That was an excellent issue. You're, you're, you're squinting at me as if you have no memory of what I happened in this don't. issue. This is the, this is the <laughs> one. This is the one where someone, and, you know, we know from the title of the story, and then also it's, re- it's revealed to the characters it, in the last page of this issue that Leviathan is going around wiping out all the other um, like spy organizations and mm-hmm. cults and like all sort of like the secret organizations in the DC universe. So presumably they can be the only ones. So they attack, they attack Amanda Waller in the previous issue. They like throw her out of a building. They attack the DEO in this issue and, you know, director bones and a couple of others barely escape. Um, they go after, um, General Lane, Lois's father. Yep. Um, they blow up the Cobra cult in the previous issue and Jimmy Olsen is the only one that he escapes and that escapes. And mm-hmm. he's got a great scene here in this issue where Lois has to come back to the Daily Planet for the first time since she left. Mm-hmm. Um, although I guess it's only been a few weeks, right? Cause yeah. they, they act as though it's a big return, but we know from Superman that John was only in space that for him, it's been like seven years, but for Lois, oh, it's, it's, it's only been a few weeks. Yeah, so that's when weeks, Lois yeah. left. So, um, she makes her big return. They have this nice scene where they go into Perry's office and Jimmy's like hiding under the desk and they sort of calm him down and talk to him and they're they're mm-hmm. super kind to him and everything. And um, I, I enjoyed that scene. I enjoyed that there's some cool scenes between Amanda Waller and, and General Lane. Yeah. Sort of like two, two master spies slash soldiers who've been doing this for decades and yep. know every trick in the book and know that there's like people out to kill them and what do they do and they've mm-hmm. got like these personal force fields and they have these are places that they meet and they're like mm-hmm. oh i didn't call i didn't call us here and you didn't call and us that here, was so immediately we need to get out of here immediately yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah i'm enjoying the whole story and then amanda waller shows up at lois and clark's apartment at the end and says you know superman leviathan is trying to kill us all so we know that she knows who, she, who yeah. he is now she says the time cool for pretenses is over yeah. like this is it's game time and now. i think it's an interesting decision to have this storyline happen in a superman book it's not the kind of thing that you would normally think would like the the a sort of a um a spy a takeover of the spy underworld the spy slash secret organization underworld of dc comics doesn't really seem like a superman story as as much as it would i mean i guess you could say batman but you know when there was a checkmate book that was kind of where it would happen but you know what i mean like yeah. this sort of spy intrigue thing seems like le- not quite as suited for superman as as some other books it'll be interesting to see how how he he integrates it there. I think it's just like, this is a story he wanted to tell and this is the book he happened to be writing. But I think that there's an interesting Superman angle there too because you you put General Lane in there and you have Amanda Waller reveal that she knows Superman's secret identity. So now he's got something at stake here too. Like what if all these organizations, what if somebody gets their hands on Amanda Waller or her files or whatever and now the secret identities of every superhero are exposed. Mm -hmm. You know, so I I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. The art by Steve Epting is beautiful. Um, Really, um, noirish um moody but very detailed very clean also which i also like like not a lot of unnecessary lines and complexity and crazy panels everywhere like it's just very clean straightforward storytelling but with great physical acting from the characters you know yep. and really great staging and everything so i i really like that too um yeah so i'm really enjoying the storyline that's awesome yeah me too i thought this was a great issue I so now, should we move on to your pop quiz Ooh, i'm ready so this week so i'm going to keep changing it up so now um instead of ranking things mm-hmm. um we're gonna do what you thought i was suggesting we do last week which is rate some things <laughs> um so given that we had a couple of new villains on gotham this week and the series itself is coming to a close mm-hmm. i thought i would give you the name of 10 gotham villains okay. and you need to rate how you feel they did with those villains on the show oh. from a scale of i don't know one to ten or whatever you want so you can use whatever Ten being awesome one being crap 
No, one being the best and ten being the worst. Yes, ten, <laughs> I've being, seen, ten being I've the seen best. People, I've seen people do that. It's so weird. use whatever criteria you want. Faithfulness to the comics, overall, like quality of the performance, quality of the writing, um, you know, okay. most most shocking, most dramatic, whatever criteria you want. Okay? okay. All right. So number these are in no particular order. So number one, Penguin. Hmm. This iteration, I'll give it a six. Really? That's lower, really, lower than I thought you would get. Yeah, give. I'm not a fan of this iteration of the Penguin. The Penguin is supposed to be a smooth-talking, suave, educated, and I'm sure that he gets there eventually, but right now, the entire time that we've seen this character, he's been petulant, moody, like, disloyal. And I just think he was all around just ineffectu- ineffectual, ineffective at being a criminal undermining bad boss person type dude so as much as i enjoy his performance in the show and um and i'm okay with the characterization i just don't think that it's what a penguin should look like what the penguin is and so that's why my ranking has to be a little bit on the low side okay what about uh what about riddler i like him i'm gonna say hmm nine out of ten Ooh. yeah he's one of the best versions um I think he is clever. The only reason I'm not giving him a perfect score is because I think he's a little too personally murdery. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like the Riddler is more detached. He's got his hang-ups and his personal issues, but they don't seem as deeply rooted and deep-seated as this iteration is. And so, to me, it's like the whole storyline with Miss Kringle and the whole storyline with just uh, going a little bit, um, I don't know, dual personality disorder, that part didn't reach me, didn't hit me hard as being um, of a piece with the Riddler. So for that, I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10, but everything else is dead spot on. I like his cleverness. I like his um, love of puzzles, and they've done a pretty good job assembling a few. So that's why. Good. What about Catwoman? Um, I like her. Let's see. I'm going to give her huh, 8 out of 10 because she's a little all over the place, the way they've written her. But then again, I mean, a teenager could be a little all over the place. I don't think that's a mischaracterization, but it would be nice to see who who she is when she's not being angry and when she's not being... I don't know, um, misguided. It feels like she's latching on to a lot of people instead of being more independent. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain that like the real cat woman doesn't need anybody. She's very much like a cat in that way. But, um, so I can't say that it's a perfect representation of what this character is, but she's, she's doing a good job. And the actress is really, really wonderful too. And the characterization isn't, Totally off. So, yeah, high ranking for that one. Good. What about Joker? Which version? <laughs> you know, they had they had the Jer- they had the the Jeremiah Valeska first, and then they had Jeremy Valeska, right? Jerome. Jerome. There you go. Jerome. It was the other way around, actually. Yeah, Jerome, Jerome was Jeremiah. first, and then Jeremiah, and it was. Hmm. I think both versions were very much what the Joker is. Um, so combining them into one persona would be interesting. Um, it was a little all over the map, but the actor is really, really good. So I'm going to say, I'm going to squish them together and I'm going to say seven out of 10. Hmm. What about Mad Hatter? Oh, I hate this guy. (laughs) I'm not a fan of this at all. More like Mad, more like Mad Hater. Yeah. I'm going to say five out of 10 on this one because they got the Alice in Wonderland references. They have the whole hypnosis references, the mind control references. But besides that, it really just a swing and a miss. Maybe even four out of ten. I'm going to say four out of ten. Um, part of it is, I'm sure, the director's fault because I've seen the actor in The Walking Dead and he really is, he has more range than he's given to work with here. This show is really ridiculously cartoonishly representing what the Mad Hatter is. And it's such a shame because he could be such a compelling character. I mean, the animated series... Um, the way Roddy McDowell played him and the way that part was written, it just demonstrates to you what this character could be and how deep this character's motivations can go. And, I mean, 
they just miss it here. He just comes off looking like an insane person. You know what? Three out of ten. <laughs> you know what? Two. You know what? Screw you know it, what? Two. One. You know what? Give me his address. I'm going to find him and beat the crap out of him. <laughs> it's not his fault. I've seen the actor. Again, I can't really blame him because he's doing, I'm sure, what the director is saying to do. But the, the part isn't really written well. Um, it's incredibly two-dimensional and silly. And all around, I just don't like the way this character is represented here. It's it's a shame. It actually makes me sad and angry that <laughs> that such a good opportunity for a cool character was squandered in this way. Because he just runs around like a little crazy person, and um, it's not it's not as complex and beautiful as it could be. And it's a shame. So yeah. What about Mister Freeze? Um... I'm going to say four out of ten because he's incredibly flat and the way he looks is wrong and the his motivation was only a little bit what the real Mr. Freezes was supposed to be and now we don't even see him so he's kind of like thrown away so it's a, it's a shame but at least they didn't do such a crap job as they did with the Mad Hatter so I'm going to say four out of ten. What about Rachel Ghoul? What a waste. What a shame. <laughs> mm, I'm going to say 7 out of 10 because, um, oh my God, what was the name of the actor? Siddig. Um, not Alan. What's his first name? Al- Alan Siddig. Alan Siddig. No. Alexander Siddig? Yes. Alexander Siddig. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he's amazing. And I think the small taste that we got of that character was pretty close to... Um, how he was written, like his motivations seem to be similar, not the same, obviously, because um, the real Rachel Ghoul wanted to kind of conquer humanity in, in service of fixing it, in service of being like a father to the human race, but, um, you know, and, and being ruthless in his um, methods. But they didn't really go too deep into this character, but I still think that the gravitas that Alexander Siddig had um, was was in line with that character. So I think he did a nice job. And it's kind of a shame because he was almost working against the script to make that happen, you know? Um, blowing up the bridge, I mean, that's something that he would do, but we didn't really get a clear consensus of, of why that had to happen and why all the villains aligned themselves in that way and why he was a part of that instead of leading it, you know, something like that. Or um, the other parts where he was toying with Bruce Wayne before you know in the in before he died the first time you know that was that was that wasn't as fleshed out as it could be and so I feel like the actor was sort of working at cross purposes against the script because it was so thin that he just sort of breathed his own life into it which is awesome so yeah what about Poison Ivy um I like her, so I like the way that they handled her, even though it started with one actress, went through another actress, and then wound up with a third actress. But I could buy the motivations, and especially the last one, the last time we saw her, it was very much in what Poison Ivy looks like. So I'm going to say 8 out of 10 for that one. Hmm. What about Scarecrow? That was pretty close to his origin, but again, what they did with... um, the Mad Hatter, they seem to have done here in that he is more of a helpless, petulant child than um, somebody who's got complex motivations and his own personal disturbance um, coming forth in that way. And I know that these are proto-villains more than anything, and so yeah, they're all supposed to be a little younger than they wind up being and all that stuff, but it still doesn't mean that they should be short-shrifted in this way. And so I'm going to say 5 out of 10. What about uh, Victor Zaz, last one? I like him. I'm going to say, I don't know much about the character, so you'll forgive me about not having the same history as I do with the others. Um, I don't remember reading too much about Zaz. But I'm going to say 8 out of 10 because I think that this guy kind of took it and made it his own. And... I don't think it's too far off the mark from what little I do know about um, Zaz in the comic. So, there you go. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. So, should we move on to our shows? I'm ready. So, this week we have Star Wars Resistance, Star Trek Discovery, Gotham, and Doom Patrol. Wow. So, this is a pretty eventful episode of Star Wars Resistance. Yes. 
The uh, picked back up from last time when our friends were under arrest at the end of the episode, and it just streamlined right into it. Um, Tam got captured, right? And Bucket met his untimely end, but then not, right? Right. At the end, he was saved by the uh, shell people underneath there. I was very happy to see that. I, I like Bucket very much, and so I did not want him to come to harm and be lost forever. So let's see what else. Mm. Uh, Yeager was under suspicion, and everybody was running away. And um, oh, oh, I like that. Um, what's his name? The green guy. Niku. Niku. Yes. Niku did not believe that Kaz was a spy, and he repeatedly said, Ha ha, your, your joke is becoming less funny by the minute, uh, which I found hilarious. And um, I like that the kids were playing into the whole thing as well, that they, they were trying to hide them as well. And um, and I don't know, I just really enjoyed this episode. It was It was full of plot, and I enjoyed it very much. Yep. And then we had Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, where, wherein we finally meet Spock. Dun, dun, the search dun. for Spock has ended. <laughs> we found him. We found him. He was on Vulcan all along. Wow. In a cave. It's the last place you look. You'd think it would be the first place you'd look, actually. I know. I actually thought it was a little, it was a little anticlimactic. Did you think it was a little anticlimactic? Yeah. Like, after, after six episodes of searching, and like, oh, he just, he went home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's he like, was hiding at home. Uh, or he was hidden at home, like, I should say. Yes, it, in that state, he it's wasn't... Like, yes, it makes sense, but I still feel like if you're going to have it be such a a predictable right. conclusion, you don't string it out for six episodes. You, yep. After this long, you think it would be, oh, like there's going to be some huge revelation about where he's been. No, he just went home. <laughs> um, we don't really get much of... I mean, it's hard to say, you know, really what Ethan Peck's performance, how... how how Spock-like it's going to be because he's acting so out of character right now. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting that they revealed that Spock had a learning disability as a Mm -hmm. child, something that he inherited from his mother and basically nobody on Vulcan (laughs) had any sympathy whatsoever or or knew how to do anything with it. So his mother tried to ameliorate it a little bit by Mm -hmm. helping him, coaching him, giving him certain stories. Sarek was completely oblivious. It's like, oh yeah, the Vulcans will, you know, send him off to the Vulcan school and they'll fix it. Um, but it's just one more way in which he was like an outcast and different. And, uh, and different growing up. Um, and Michael learns this and she's very sympathetic about it. Um, I guess it must have been before her time, right? Before she came must to live Must have been, yeah. Um, and I guess the other major plot thread here was Pike and Tyler going off in the shuttlecraft to launch a probe into the um, time, ti- anomaly. time vortex there. Um, and they have a little bit of like a little flash forward thing going on and they're able to see things that haven't happened yet because of the temporal distortions or whatever. And they shoot the probe in there and the probe comes back. 500 years later. Hundreds of years of evolution and modifications. And it's like a matrix style squid robot now. And it tries to destroy the shuttle. Um, or at the very least try to learn, try to get all the information from their computer. Yeah, it was downloading. You'd think, you'd think future people would have access to anyway, so we're not quite sure what's going on there. It does seem like there's two... Fa- this really reminds me a lot of the Temporal Cold War, which is nobody's favorite plot thread in Enterprise, yeah. but it really reminds me of that, where you seemingly have two different factions from the future. One is the Red Angel, and the other is whoever's responsible for this thing, and one seems like it's trying to help the Discovery, and the mm-hmm. other seems like it's trying to thwart them, mm-hmm. or at the very least endanger them. Um, what did you think of the whole thing where Tyler... Uh, calls out Pike on unnecessarily risking his own life and in certain cir- in certain situations the crew's life too as a way of sort of proving himself to himself after having to sit out the war and then Pike at the end is kind of like yeah you had my number on that one I'm going to try to be better about that did you did you think that that was justified no I didn't buy it I think that I mean he served his time in, in the war and I think his criticism of you're trying to be a cowboy and you're taking unnecessary risks in some cases because you don't want to be benched. Uh, that one was fair, but the whole risking your crew to prove yourself part? No, I don't. I don't think that was right. Well, it's all of a piece. I mean, if a captain risks his own life, he's risking the life of his crew also because it's his job to be responsible for the crew and to be there to to lead them. So, but he was the most compl- uh, He was the most qualified to pull off those types of maneuvers. I mean, we uh, we we don't have enough information about that. I mean, Detmer's right there, and she's the helms 
helmsperson for the ship. Is she, isn't she a more perhaps? But, but this but, is but older if, technology that he was he was piloting something for the he was piloting that particular one as a test pilot. Maybe, so but he I had mean, the most intimate knowledge, including Detmer. How many how many next gen episodes did uh, did Riker have to warn Picard not to? It's his. It's not his place to go on an away mission, even if he would. Even if he would be the most logical choice, because it's a diplomatic mission or or whatever. And like Picard would be better at that than whoever they were going to send. It's still not his place to go on these away missions. And that's seemingly a rule that doesn't exist yet, because Kirk used to go on away missions all the time. Yeah. So apparently that happened sometime between. Sure. That was codified sometime between TOS and Next Gen. But but I, I I think that the 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 idea still holds true, which is that it's not. It's not right for the captain to risk his own life. Even like if you need to send somebody else to die, that's sometimes right. what a captain needs to do. But that's in some in a lot of ways that's preferable to risking your own life. Even if you know, even if Pike stands a seventy five percent chance of completing the mission successfully, and Detmer would have only stood a fifty percent chance. Mm-hmm. I think that by the by the letter of the Starfleet regulations, it probably would have been his his duty to order Detmer to do it because he's not supposed to you know risk his own life or leave the ship or whatever. Right. Um, but I, you know, Pike Pike agreed with him, so I think he he's he sees his point too. I'm just I'm trying to think of instances where that was where that was um, evident in the earlier episodes. I mean, it seemed like in the whole thing on Kaminar, he was sort of going along for the ride and letting Burnham and Saru call all the shots as far as yeah. making those decisions. I guess um, I guess the whole thing with the um, the the Terra Elysium or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. people. Um, he was making a lot of calls there as far as how, how the enforcing the Prime Directive, and I guess he did decide to go down on that away mission himself too, which was dangerous. Um, but right. it, it seems yeah. like mostly that was something that was that was made an example in this episode, and I don't really think there's a lot that you can point to in earlier episodes to back up Tyler's claim. Um, yeah, anything else to say about this one? I really enjoyed it. It'll be interesting. To so I don't know, like Section 31 seemed like they were going to, or at least Georgiou maintained that Section 31 was going to basically lobotomize Spock to get the information out of him. Yeah, that I thought that piece was interesting because the, the captain of Section 31, we still don't know what his game is. And it's interesting to have him say and promise that they'll take good care of Spock and then turn around and, and uh, Georgiou is the one that says, you know, your instincts are right, Burnham. You need to uh, do an escape mission because this is not, you know, if you follow protocol on this one, you're going to lose him because that's mind wiping stuff, not uh, mind saving stuff. So get him out of here. It's hard to tell. It's hard to know what to make of what to make of Section 31 here. If this were Deep Space Nine or something, yeah. we'd be like, yeah, don't trust Section 31 at all. But because this is a different Section 31 that's operating out in the open. You're yeah, like, we well, maybe the captain Maybe they it. are more trustworthy now than they are in the future because maybe they Maybe Georgiou see... is playing a game. I guess. Like, there's that, that thought then crossed she goes, my then mind, then she too. goes to Leland and says that he's responsible for Burnham's parents' deaths, and he doesn't refute her. So right. he's, he's seemingly shady to one degree or another. Yeah. Someone who's, who would, could engineer the death of Burnham's parents certainly wouldn't be above doing some potentially damaging you know, memory extraction from, from Spock. So mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Um, it's just hard to, it's just hard to tell because this is not a section 31 that we're used to seeing. And if they're operating out in the open under the auspices of Starfleet with oversight and all this other stuff, then maybe this version is more trustworthy. So it, we don't necessarily know what to make of these allegations and until we're given some evidence, I suppose. Exactly. Um, so Gotham. Yeah. So this one, uh, this one we got. So we got a bunch. There's a whole of, menagerie of uh, villains here. Yeah. So we got three three characters that we hadn't really seen before. We got sort of a version of the ventriloquist and Scarface. Mm-hmm. We got, I think, what we were both kind of expecting to be Killer Croc. But yeah. Then I guess, it wasn't. I mean, if, really. if it was, it was just sort of very a, a very far extrapolated version. And like he had bad skin and lived in the sewers. Was basically as far as you could, and had cannibalistic tendencies, or at least would tend to like rend people limb from limb. I guess we don't know for a fact that he was eating those people. Like Croc yeah. would, yeah. as about as far as it can go. But I mean, Croc really is just a regular person with a skin condition, theoretically. Mm-hmm. So it's not that far. But you know, plus this guy died at the end, right? Didn't he say that the toxins finally Got caused him. him to die? I don't know. Um, I think they said that. At he the said end. it's irreversible. He couldn't be saved. But who's to say whether or not he? I went think back that means he's dead. That means he's dead. <laughs> well, I guess we can't do anything about him. Let him keep uh, keep eating people in the sewers. Um, I thought I, I thought I had read at some point that they were going to do Croc this season, so I, I 
Part of me was like, maybe oh, that was they're finally doing it. Maybe that is their version of it. Um, and then I we got. I would have loved a good Waylon Jones reference because that would have been so much more like, oh, they're they they know the list of people that are down there, or one of them is an. I don't think there's any way they could possibly like know how many people just stayed behind when the bridges blew and went down into the sewers to survive. I don't know how they could possibly have that information. I mean, they could maybe look at the fire up their computers and find that there was somebody named Waylon Jones who lived in Gotham. But I don't think they could possibly know if they stayed behind No, or I mean, one of them could be like, oh, we were traveling. The the wife lady, for example, could have been like, she could have been like, hey, I, um, we were all traveling in a group together and I know all the names of people and these are the people that went missing, including my husband. And one of them was Waylon Jones. Like that, maybe in a uh, less high-pitched voice, but I'm just saying like, that's the way that it could have been written, but it wasn't. And that would have been interesting just to have his name dropped there. Yeah, and then we got Jane Doe, who uh, very different from the comic book version. The comic book version, she basically looks like she's been skinned alive, and she like takes other people's faces, and she wears, and she like dresses oh. up. I, I don't think she actually has like metamorphic ability. She can't. She can't shapeshift. I think she just like she's she's just unnaturally good at assuming other people's. You know, physicality, physicality, and voice, and and things like that. So she'll wear their clothes and wear like a mask or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know, like a, a mm-hmm. and it's convincing sort of enough, convincing yeah. enough. Um, but here they gave her this whole other backstory, and it actually it reminded me a lot in places of the Calendar Girl character from the uh, or Calendar Woman. I'm not sure. I think she was called Calendar Girl. She was in called the, uh, Calendar Girl. Yeah. In the um, Batman animated, animated series. series episode with the white mask that she didn't want to take off because she thought she Voiced was show ugly. Voiced by Paget Brewer. Um, no. The the uh, first of all is Paget Brewster. Brewster. The second of all, she wasn't. She was voiced by Celia Ward. Dang. That's Who was okay. voiced by Paget Brewster? Um, Somebody was. Some bad guy. She voiced Poison Ivy in the in the uh, Batman and Harley Quinn movie later. I don't think she voiced anybody else that I can that I can think of. Oh. Um, Whoops. Screw that one up. <laughs> and then we got sort of a version of the ventriloquist. Yep. Um, which they really hung a lantern on by having Penguin keep calling him Arnold, even though yeah. his his name was was supposed Arthur. to be Arthur. Um. I mean, I don't know why they, I don't know. Why wouldn't they just have Got a made new guy. The, no, but why wouldn't they just have made that his name from the beginning if they knew they were going to turn him into the ventriloquist? Yeah, why wouldn't they, they have actually know. made his name Arnold? Maybe they didn't know. I mean, he hasn't been around that long. Has he, was he around last season? He was season? around in the very beginning. Yeah. The very beginning of what? It was one of the first um, contacts that, uh, um, what he made. He had him when uh, Fish Mooney was in the mix i don't think that's true i thought i thought that he it's only been relatively recently like since maybe the end of last season i'm not sure i could be wrong i don't think he, he went back that far and what was he doing for him back then same thing bookkeeping he was his most tra- trusted right i don't ally. remember that okay well maybe you're right i really thought that he was introduced sort of at the maybe in midway through last season or something um so what do you think of what they did here with ventriloquist and scarface i was mm, less than impressed like uh it was it was a faithful performance um and the guy learned a little must have learned a little bit of ventriloquism but he wasn't doing a stellar job like as if he'd been doing it his entire life but that's fine right because if somebody really loses it in this way they're going to um they're they're not exactly going to be a perfect ventriloquist when they first don the whatever but i i I just didn't like the dummy, to be honest. I didn't think that it was... I thought the dummy looked okay. He looked creepy, but he didn't look okay. And why... I, I think it would have been um, sillier if it were closer to the cartoon. I think it would have been more chilling also. Because this is a very creepy dummy. If they had taken a regular person's dummy, somebody who really looks happy, and then um, and then malformed him with the scar and maybe some pointed down eyebrows and stuff that would have been far more unsettling instead they had this evil looking doll and it was incredibly like they really hung a lantern on on that um on on that persona right away you know because you look at the doll and you're like versus looking at the doll and be like okay this could be anything and then the the ventriloquist would infuse it with that bad energy you know bad mojo um I also think that um, I would have liked it if you had the Tommy gun, <laughs> like in the cartoon, and that it was a functioning Tommy gun, because that would have been really interesting to see that the ventriloquist went far enough to actually rig um, a gun to work that way, instead of him holding the, the pistol the way he was. Um, and I thought that it was very strange that he 
wasn't really an effective villain because he just showed up the one time that he showed up and then he got dispatched really really quickly and that didn't make a lot of sense so yeah i wonder why they would kill him off like why wouldn't they just have him have him get away and like know that he's out there and he becomes a bigger threat later unless Mm -hmm. they're having unless they're gonna i don't know like do you think maybe they're like, oh, because this, this wasn't the real guy, so the, the actual guy that's named Arnold Wesker will find the dummy later and become, like, the new ventriloquist? Like, yeah. Because unless they, unless they felt really beholden to get to, to have that character have the same name yeah. as in the comics, why wouldn't they just have made this guy be the guy that still the ventriloquist 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, so Doom Patrol this week. Mm-hmm. This one's called Puppet Patrol. Yeah. So we really got a lot more um, insight into Larry in this episode mm-hmm. with all the flashbacks and everything. I thought those were those were all really well done. Yeah, I agree. Um, well acted, like good performances from the the actress playing the wife and mm-hmm. the guy playing his lover also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like they did a good job characterizing him where they 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 made him fa- fallible. Yeah, conflicted and fallible in a way like like he wasn't out and proud because that wouldn't have been realistic. Right, and he was, but he wasn't so ashamed and closeted that that he came ac- would come across as like unlikable from a modern perspective you know what mm-hmm. i mean the unsympathetic perhaps better word than unlikable like he 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 and I, he was yeah and conflicted it was is an interesting because he, he did he did love the woman that he was married to probably right. not in a romantic way but you can develop all sorts of close feelings to someone like that i mean and don't don't and don't discount mean, the fact that he he could be just bisexual and dealing with I that. I don't think that's what they were going for. I think that the, I think that he just he loved her in the way that like she was like his best friend. Like it was it was kind of that kind of love. She was mm-hmm. like his confidant, his best friend, his support system. Right. And he and he had a lot of affection and feelings for her. They just weren't you know sexual or purely romantic. And of course, even if you're gay and you have and you you know have a child with a woman, you're still going to love your kids, right? So right. It's, it's not to say that he doesn't just because he's gay and he's in a quote unquote fake marriage, he wouldn't still love his kids. So of course he loves his kids. So he's, he's got a whole investment there too. He doesn't want to just he doesn't want to hurt this woman that he cares about. He doesn't want to hurt his kids. He doesn't. And there's but I thought they did a really good job because there is an element of selfishness there, of yeah. course, because he's really stringing this other guy along. It doesn't seem like he really has any intention of running away with him like the other guy wants to do. Right. Um, and it's he's not being 100% fair to his wife that knows that something is going on, at least, whether, yeah. you know, whether he's consummated a gay relationship or not. She certainly seems to know that he's gay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair to her. It's not really fair to the kids. He's sort of trying to have it both ways. But they still make it sympathetic enough that like you understand it. It's like he, he, his family is really important to him and he cares about them. And that stability, when he goes, had to, has to go out there and be a crazy test pilot and could die at any, at any mm-hmm. moment, that stability, uh, that home environment is important to him. And he doesn't want to lose that and risk and, and take the risks in his personal life that he's accustomed to taking in his professional life. Like he needs right. that stability. And so mm-hmm. he's trying to have it both ways. I thought they did a good job and Matt, Matt Bowman's performance did a good job of making him seem conflicted and fallible and flawed, but, but not in a, like an unlikable way. Because it could have easily come across as like, oh man, he's being terrible to his wife because he's not telling her and he's right. living in this fake ma- loveless marriage. And he's being terrible to this other guy who's, who's willing to end his career to be with him and yeah. he's not willing to take that chance. You know what I mean? And yep. he's taking these risks, which makes his wife worry even more. I thought they did a good job of, of striking all that balance. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to end even worse. Like, because we've seen, you know, like, Cliff was a jerk, but then there was the added tragedy of the car accident right. that destroyed his family. I was expecting them to be like, there to be some last minute twist here where, yes, he gets burned mm-hmm. and has to, like, live away from everybody else. But everybody else kind of did okay for themselves, right? Yeah. Like his wife left with the kids and presumably they did okay. And his, what was his lover's friend? What was his lover's name? Jim? Was it John. Jim? John. Jim and John. Um, Jimmy John. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess he, he re-upped. So mm-hmm. I guess he didn't quite get, to, but would he have wanted to leave the service without Larry anyway? Maybe right. not. So like, and he doesn't have the best life, of course, because he's got to be a closeted gay man around these right. meatheads. Mm-hmm. Um, but his, he's no worse off than he was before he met Larry. Right. I was just expecting something really tragic to happen. Like the negative spirit gets out and kills Somebody. his family yeah. accidentally or something. Like they got to be careful because they also can't, if they're doing anything similar to the comics, the negative spirit has to be kind of sympathetic in a way. Like it didn't, it didn't mean, like it, it doesn't want to be 
part of Negative Man any more than Larry does. Mm-hmm. Like it was just flying around or whatever up there in the atmosphere and it got mm-hmm. trapped in this guy's body. Mm-hmm. And it, it only gets let out every so often and it doesn't get to do anything at once. And if mm-hmm. it's too far away from them, they both die. And mm-hmm. like, it's not a great existence for him either, but he doesn't mean he doesn't want to kill Larry's family or anything like that. Right. So they, I think they have to be careful to make it because otherwise you, you kind of want Larry to free himself of this thing or destroy it or overcome right. it. But that's not the story. The story is the two of them sort of living to coexist and form like right. a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. At least that's kind of traditional what it is um so i think that they they struck a really good balance there um the whole thing with them going to paraguay and that, yes. that weird puppet show and the guy there that ends up being i was getting kind of like a taita waikiti vibe from that guy i don't know um who's taita waikiti the the guy that directed um black panther and was also and also played um what's the name of the guy i don't want to say the the racist name that they that, that was his nickname nickname in the comics um but Hal's, Hal's like best friend slash buddy in the, in the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. He's an actor slash writer-director. So he, oh, he acted oh, in that cool. and then he was... Um, Tom, Tom Kalmuku, that's the name of the character. He was called Pie Face in the, six, in the no. 50s and 60s comics because oh. he was an Inuit. So, you know, Eskimo pies. And oh so I remember Kalmuku, no. that's yeah, not so good. Um, he, I was kind of getting that sort of feel, like this, this sort of like wide-eyed sort of wackiness from this guy that kind of reminded me of the way that he plays his characters. But oh. anyway, he gets turned, seemingly gets turned into Animal Vegetable Mineral Man at the end. Yes, yes. Um, so I guess that's that's going to be a thing. You called it last time, I called too. it last time. Well, yeah. they were saying, DC, I think on DC Daily, they were saying, I don't think it was last the last episode, I think on DC Daily, they said something like, oh, and you're going to get to see a classic Doom Patrol villain. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be Animal Vegetable Mineral Man? Because unless it's out and out the Brotherhood of Evil right. or General Immortus or something, that there's not a very long list of, of classic uh-huh. Doom Patrol villains. Um, so yeah, funny. it's kind of got to be him. Um, he and I, went in for magnet feet and came out with hand, hands made of celery Yeah, like the second and... dinosaur head and stuff. But I like how they handle it. Like, like Cliff goes in there. Like they each kind of have their own little crucible there because Jane has to stand up to, you know, Nazi guy mm-hmm. there. And he, a lot of stuff that he has to say seems like it's really getting to her. And then yep. she has to confront him and she ends up killing him. Cliff, Cliff has to take care of all those goons and mm-hmm. finds him. Like, he's kind of horrified by how much damage he can do when he really lets loose. Yeah. Larry goes into the thing that turned, what's his name, into Mr. Nobody. Yes. And, and tries to sort of heal himself or become even more powerful or whatever. Or do like something, just Something, yeah. become different. Um, so they each kind of go go through their own little crucible there yep. in this one episode, and then you've got the whole thing with Rita and and uh, Cyborg being mm-hmm. back at the motel. He's really Victor's father is really being pretty pretty manipulative, right? Like he oh, deprives yeah. him of the resources, yep. and then cut, swoops in at the last minute and offers them again, so yep. that Vic will feel like beholden and grateful to him when mm-hmm. he could have just, if he wanted him to succeed, he would have just given him the plane from the right. beginning, you know? No, he is manipulative, but at least Vic seems self aware enough to kind of see what his dad is trying to right. pull he's not he's not you know mm-hmm. hero worshiping his dad or whatever um yeah and rita the, the rita doesn't get quite as much to do in this one but she kind of stands up for herself and she mm-hmm. got, i mean she's got a lot she's got her own issues going on obviously that kind of make her she calls less... cyborg out on his issues too yeah and she's her their, her their stuff was interesting condition kind of makes her less prone to jump into the fray also because you know like yeah but, until but, she gets a hold of her uh powers yeah because cliff's cliff's like Cliff and Jane and even Larry to a certain extent, like their worry if they were to jump into battle would be that they would do too much damage. You know, yeah. they wouldn't be able to control themselves. Whereas Rita, I guess she she's worried about not being able to control herself, but she wouldn't be worried about being too effective. <laughs> She'd be worried about turning into a big blob and just lying there, right? Right. So she's got kind of her own thing going on. Um, and we don't see the chief at all in this one, even though Timothy Dalton got, got uh, prominent credits in the opening credits there. Well, he was a puppet. But yeah, but it's not yeah. like he even had a voice or whatever. I think it's just, I think it's a contractual thing. It's like Matt Ryan on Legends of Tomorrow, where every, where he's not listed along the main cast, a special appearance by Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I think it would probably contractually have to say that even in episodes in which he doesn't appear. Right. It's essentially okay. like part of the, the standing credits. Yep. But it's not contingent upon him actually being in the episode, which is a pretty good, pretty good deal if you can swing it. But he is Timothy Dalton, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, I, I'm, I'm enjoying, I think so far, I mean, it's hard to compare it to Young Justice because they're so different. And Young Justice, we've got years of history with also. So I, I wouldn't say I'm enjoying it as much as Young Justice. But I think I'm enjoying it more than Titans so far. Yeah. At least three episodes in, I think I'm enjoying this more than I was enjoying Titans three episodes in. It's hard to say because, you know, we, we watch Titans for 10 or 12 episodes. And so we've got more investment in the characters there than we do in these guys so far. But I feel like, I feel like after three episodes, they've done a bit. Don't you feel like these characters are more fully sketched? 
Like, don't they feel like more three-dimensional real people than, say, Starfire did after three episodes on Titans? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of characters in Titans were intentionally, but still somewhat frustratingly, sort of ciphers for a lot of the season. Because Starfire, of course, she had the amnesia and she didn't really know who she was. So we didn't really know what to make of her. Raven is, of course, very, very guarded. And then you've got Dick, who's like sort of morose and self, self-doubting self and you know like the characters were not that they say the characters on this show aren't morose and played by self-doubt either but it's it just it's different somehow mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. the, we're getting more insight into their into what they're going through psychologically as opposed to titans where kind of it felt like we were on the outside looking in with a lot of the characters yeah. like we could sort of we could we could see what they were going through but we didn't really feel it a lot of the time because yeah, of the yeah. way it was presented and i think they're doing a good job a good job with that here i thought some of the stuff between um oh who's the uh crazy jane and um negative man between them because he's trying to figure out after so so long he's trying to communicate with the spirit and trying to take control of what's happening to him and establish ground rules which is tough for um, Jane to process because she's like, that's not how it works with me and my 64 personalities. Like that nobody is um, nobody is a head honcho in any of this situation. And I don't tell them what to do. They don't tell me what to do. And although it's clearly her um, body and she's the one that started it and whatever experiments were done to her, as said in this episode, like it was made clear to us that as a result of whatever crazy doctor testing happened to her, her personality fractured and created all of these personalities, and each one of them has their own meta ability. Yeah, but it's um, even it's even more than that. The evil Nazi guy, um, this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Deduced, and Jane kind of looked like she was. Um, Affected by it. Affected by it and didn't deny it. That the Jane, what we call the Jane persona, the main persona that she presents with is not the original persona. It's just one more of the, don't don't you recall this exchange? I think the implication there is that the, her original persona is like some scared little girl that's one of the personas buried deep down. And the one that she, she walks around with with most frequently in her daily life is just one more artifice. That she's, she's, she's actually just like this scared little girl deep down. But one of her personalities is like a confident, secure, mature woman. But that's just one more artifice. That's not who she really is. One more creation. Oh, wow. Interesting. So I I think that that was, that was what was implied there. But I, I do think that I have to, I'd have to go back and look at the old, the Grant Morrison comics again, but I feel like this is a more, um, sort of, um, I don't want to say, I don't know what the phrase is, not, not mental illness positive because, you know, you know, but pe- people who are, people who have, um, you know, disassociative personality disorder or mm-hmm. whatever, you don't want to, I felt like, it's not like the Grant Morrison comics made them like stigmatize them or had a negative portrayal of them. But Jane didn't seem, to my recollection, she didn't seem quite so confident and self-possessed and self-actualized as mm-hmm. she does here. I don't recall her having a lot of speeches where she's like, yeah, I'm I'm cool with who I am. All these personalities and I, we've reached this sort of steady state mm-hmm. where we're all okay with each other and we don't really fight. And people, come, the personalities come out when they want to and I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think in the comics, she she seemed as sort of self-loathing as a lot of the other characters did. Mm. At least that's my recollection. She was more insecure and more self-loathing. Um, and by the end, she kind of became more actualized, but it seems like she's starting from a more confident position mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if part of that is just them saying, you know, they're, I don't know. It, it feels like um, these days, especially with like Batman comics and so on, like there, there is a thing in superhero comics because of the history of these characters and the way the stories have traditionally been told. It's definitely, it's definitely, um, they definitely have very um, two dimensional negative portrayals of mental illness. You mm-hmm. know, like if, if a character in a Batman comic is mentally ill, they're, they're a crazy, dangerous psychopath and they need Batman to beat them up and send them to this, to Arkham Asylum where everybody knows they're not going to get any actual treatment. Right. And if someone's released from Arkham Asylum and deemed to be cured, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time. They're either trying to trick everybody or their relapse is Imminent. only a matter of time, yeah. you know, and that is not a very modern, positive portrayal of people that are struggling with mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only expect so much from superhero comics and, and stories that have been sort of repeating for 80 years now a lot yeah. of the roots of these stories are go way back to then but i think that what they're trying to do with jane here is a bit more of a enlightened uh perspective mm-hmm. that obviously you would not wish this condition on someone but 
if someone is going to have this condition, you don't you don't want to write it in such a way that it seems like someone who has a condition like this in the real world is a freak or an outcast in the way and, and is comparable to someone who's just a brain stuck in a robot body, that they're not even human anymore. You've right. got to be careful not to draw that correlation. Right. So I think that that's, that's probably what underlies their somewhat more confident portrayal of Jane on the mm-hmm. show. I think the actress is doing a good job with that too. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that they're doing a good job with all the characters. I agree. I really am enjoying the show and all of the um, interactions. And it it doesn't seem to me that Jane has a full confidence because this Nazi guy actually chipped away at that confidence. Yeah, too. you can't you so, can't make her too self actualized right, because exactly, then she has exactly. nowhere to grow. But mm-hmm. I think that her starting point is definitely much more mature and confident. And she was stable. kind of like more of a lost little girl in the original Doom Patrol comics, like a, a foundling that the team took in and had to sort of nurture and mm-hmm. and allow to grow into like a confident superhero. Whereas yeah. here, she seems like she's she's starting from a, you know even if some of it is just a front that she's putting up, it's still right. she still presents as way more confident and and powerful and successful in any sort of combat situation right. than Jane did originally in the comics. Yeah, because hopefully, I mean, what we would ideally like to see is that she becomes the type of hero that can kind of ra- rally the troops of her personas instead of just letting everybody do what they want when they want. Like, <clears throat> we could see her come to a place where she says, hey, Flit, like, we need to get to well, from point A to point B. Will you teleport Yeah, us? you kind of want her to get to the point, like, like Echo on Dollhouse, where yeah. she can just mentally just, like, flip from one to the exactly. other, depending on what skill set is called upon exactly. at any given moment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the logical conclusion for that kind of arc, if you want to take it in a very linear direction. We'll see if they if they do that or not. I mean, if the show is going to go for multiple seasons, they they got to be careful not to get her to that, <laughs> that end point too quickly, of well, course. Well, did Grant Morrison do that? Um, I'm just curious. It's been it's been ten or fifteen years since I read those comics. She she was more content with herself by the end, but I think Morrison knew um, that, that you know no in, in a serialized yeah. comic book series, you can't really give characters a definitive ending just because you're leaving the book. Right. Or if you do, there's nothing stopping the next writer from coming along and undoing it all again. Yeah. So you can give care, and he gave he gave the his Doom Patrol like kind of a happy ending, but then of course the next writer comes on and she completely sure you know screwed them all up again because that's kind of what you have to do in an ongoing right. series. So put things back yeah. in the toy box. Yeah. 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 No, I'm really enjoying it. Me too. And Me that's too. it for our shows. Wow. Well, that was a good bit of shows. And if you want to reach out to the, our show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a parting sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Um, Ooh. <laughs>